Hello, welcome back to the New New Englanders. I'm Connor. And I'm Sarah. And we're here to share some of New England's best music, arts, and subcultures with you. This week, we'll be talking to Jillian Rizzino, a local artist who's having an art show next month in October. But first, let's get into some news. New news with the New New Englanders. First up, we have an update to one of our previous episodes, news stories, where I talked about an emu that was on the loose in Lakeville, Massachusetts. Well, after three weeks, the emu was finally captured. Yeah. Three weeks? Yes. It took them three weeks? Yeah, and I guess that it had, like, escaped the original area that it was in, obviously, because it's just, like, out and about. But I guess he was safely captured, and according to this article, he, quote-unquote, will now be living in an awesome home. That's, that's it. <laughs> nothing else? Just, that's, okay. that's the whole story. There's just a picture of him in a cage that's clearly too small for him. That's not the awesome home, right? No, I don't think so. All right, good. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's like Tony Hawk's house or something. I, I hope so. I hope that they put him in a zoo and that we can go visit him in person. And then he has that. a little plaque. Yes, that would be incredible. Yeah. Let's hope. So if you've listened to our show in the past, you probably know already that this segment, we like to bring some lighthearted news from each New England state, and we try to cover each state roughly the same as we do all the others. So each time we record, Sarah randomly shuffles the states that we do some research on to try and find stories. And I'd like to preface the stories that I've brought to this episode by first saying that this week... I was dealt the worst possible hand of states that you can get. <laughs> Oh, come on. What? I was given Vermont, Maine, and New Hampshire. And let me tell you that things don't happen in these states. That's Nothing so not goes true. On. <laughs> it's the Bermuda Triangle of New England. So little goes on that is actually newsworthy. For example, one of the stories that I found trying to find something good from New Hampshire was... Goodwill stores in Portsmouth and Summersworth temporarily stop accepting donations. This was on local television news where they covered the fact that two Goodwill locations will not be taking donations for a couple of days. That is how dry <laughs> the news cycle of New Hampshire gets. <laughs> I mean, it's just desperate. Things do happen, but a majority of the things that happen are bad. That's true. At least that is covered by the news. Whenever I get those states, the majority of the things have been like natural disasters, such as flooding, or like car accidents and murders, etc. That is unfortunately the majority of news. In general. Yeah, exactly. But I'd just like to say that this is this is a difficult shuffle to have gotten. This is, you just got to dig deep. You got to find like the weird local guy who writes articles on the like town newspaper website. It's true. Speaking of digging deep, my first story is from New Hampshire again. <laughs> a local man in Manchester, New Hampshire went to a thrift store and found a painting that he purchased for $4 specifically because he liked the frame and had no interest in the painting itself. But an art expert noticed the piece and was able to identify it correctly as being by the painter N.C. Wyeth, who is actually a pretty well-known oil painter and illustrator from the early 20th century. This painting just went up for auction, and at auction it received $191,000 oh from the original purchase of $4. Check it out. We'll post a picture of it. It's a beautiful painting. Honestly, whoever bought it had a pretty good eye, at least for frames. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's nuts. An incredible profit made on, yeah. on this painting. That's like the dream of every person who like buys things at thrift stores to resell them. It's true. I feel like it happens so rarely. Keep an eye out next time you're at a Goodwill. That's the second Goodwill story from New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, I guess they just love their Goodwills. So my next story is a very quick one, and it's just a singular statistic that was recently published about Maine by the U.S. Census, and that is that Maine was actually the fastest-growing state in the United States last year by population. Really? For whatever reason. They had the highest rate of increase, which was only 13,000 people. 
moving to Maine. But percent-wise... But percent-wise, that is okay. the greatest increase of any state by more than twice. That's why statistics are like misleading sometimes. That's still cool. Yeah, it's a big year for Maine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also have a short story from Connecticut. This is literally a one sentence long story. And it is that Connecticut minimum wage is raising by 69 cents in the new year. to hear it my next story is a heartwarming story out of rhode island slash massachusetts because it's about a rhode island man or man who once resided in rhode island who was a firefighter in providence and then moved to massachusetts after retiring and he is a man that loves animals and he pulled over on the side of the road in Massachusetts because he found a dead opossum in the road, which is sad, but a common occurrence. And the only reason he did is because he saw that it was slightly moving. So he thought that maybe it was still alive. But no, it had babies in its womb that were moving. And so this man with his bare hands, no gloves, did a C-section on the dead opossum and saved six little baby opossums. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> speechless. I don't. I there's something beautiful about this. There's something viscerally gross. Yes, it is this. pretty gross. In the news, in the news segment, they they preface it by saying you should really wear gloves when you do something like this. But he did get them to a rehabilitation place, and so now they're being like cared for by a person who does this regularly, and it's very cute. They show pictures of the little baby opossums, and they're very adorable. But I think that it's very sweet that this person cares so much about an animal that many people view as vermin or not to be messed with, because they are just cute little guys, even if they're a little dirty. Yeah, opossums are great animals. They're North America's only marsupials. They keep tick populations under control by eating them. And they also, like, it's nearly impossible for them to get rabies. We love opossums. Yes, we do. So if you see the opportunity to give a C-section <laughs> to... <laughs> Actually, I would leave it to someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> that might be you, but I... Keep some gloves in your car. Yes, if anyone asks why you keep some plastic gloves in your car, tell them it's for the possibility of an opossum C-section. They are sure to believe you. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> on to the next story. So if you're listening to us currently, you're probably like most of our listeners and love New England. And if you love New England, then you certainly love New England in the fall. You might even consider yourself to be a leaf peeper one of the many people who make trips around New England specifically to see some beautiful fall foliage and landscapes during the season. If you're like the many leaf peepers in the past who've made a trip specifically to the Sleepy Hollow Farm in Vermont, which is apparently a very popular spot for leaf peeping, I have some bad news, which is that that's not going to fly this year. It's closed. shutting down <laughs> Everything. <laughs> it's closed. I saw this. Yeah. There's apparently been such an issue with traffic for the past couple of years, specifically in this one area of Vermont, that they're going to be shutting down roads and preventing people from getting to the Sleepy Hollow Farm. The Sleepy Hollow Farm is not a specific destination for tourists. It's actually just a privately owned home. But for some reason, many people consider it one of the best spots to get a picture of during the season. It is a very nice looking barn and farm, but it, it's just someone's home. <laughs> and the road connecting to it isn't equipped with the infrastructure to handle so many people. So they're completely preventing anyone from going to the Sleepy Hollow Farm this year. Bad news if that's something that was on your list. 
Sorry. I think that it's a good thing, though. I mean, I saw a lot of people that were talking about it that were from around there that were saying that obviously there's still going to be tourists coming to the area, but in such a small town like that, like they just can't handle it and it becomes so concentrated with people that it's kind of obnoxious. Yeah, apparently many neighbors down there were getting very upset, especially because random tourists were asking them where the bathroom was, where oh the food God. options were, and they were like, this is my house. <laughs> <laughs> oh my You're actually God. parked on my lawn right now. <laughs> yeah, that that's like such a thing is just people like pulling over on the side of the road and actually just like walking onto people's property and also on roads that like can't handle it. Yeah. People get feral in the fall for some foliage. Even if you put up no parking signs on a road, people are still going to park there. Exactly. In my research, I did find a fun fact about the Sleepy Hollow Farm, which is that it was purchased in 2020 for $2.2 million. Whoa. But the person it was purchased from is Joe Perry and his wife, Joe Perry being the guitarist from Aerosmith. Whoa. Who had owned it for five years previously. I thought you said so, Joe Para. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a lot more fun. Imagine but, if he <laughs> sold it to Joe Para. I think Joe Para would have a fantastic time. This seems like the exact sort of thing that he would enjoy. I agree. But yeah, it was for a short time owned by Joe Perry. No longer is that the case. It is now owned by someone who can afford a $2.2 million home that is also a major tourist attraction. Well, good on them for being like, yeah, none of this. I don't want any of this. Stay away from me. Instead of turning it into like a, a money grabbing thing. Right. If Woodstock, Vermont was on your fall foliage sightseeing tour this year, you might want to pick a different location. Take it off. And I would say trying for somewhere that isn't obvious there's so many great spots all around new england to see the leaves change so i would i would not join a group that is descending on a small town that isn't equipped for it i would try to diversify your foliage tour so that you're not doing the same thing as everyone else i'm sure it'll be a lot more enjoyable that way too cool keeping up with the fall theme if you're into spooky and or paranormal stories you may be interested in this in massachusetts there is a former funeral parlor for sale as a home and instead of saying for sale on their for sale sign they have a sign that says probably haunted on it and i think that that's very fun the building was built in 1850 as a single family home and then was converted into a funeral home in 1948 it is listed for $769,000, so if you have that money, go for it. It's 5,000 square feet, and the first floor features several huge rooms because it was a funeral parlor, so you can use it as an office space or something, I guess, if you want. And it also has two half baths on the main level. The second floor has three bedrooms, one full bath, and two half baths. So there's a lot of half baths in there, which I guess makes sense because it was a funeral home. But I guess there's also sitting rooms, multiple washer and dryer hookups, two kitchens, sunlit porches, and some rooms are gutted, I guess, because it's a super old house, and so you need to redo them yourself. There's also a full basement and sheds, and there's a three-car garage. So this is a huge house. It's pretty gorgeous, but yeah, it is probably haunted considering it's been a funeral home for uh over 50 years what do you think sir would you live there probably not mostly because i can't afford that even if money was no object could you live in what was at some point a funeral home i don't know i feel like it would be really sad also like i would want to redo a lot of it because like the entire main level is like carpeted Ugh. Because it's a funeral home, and I think that, like, all funeral homes are carpeted. That is a trend. So, like, maybe I would turn it into another funeral home, but I don't know if I would want to live there. It does have some beautiful natural lighting. The photos are great. Yeah, I don't think it's actually uncommon for owners and operators of funeral homes to live in or next to their businesses. No, it's not. That is pretty typical. I think that's common. But that would be a really expensive house to upkeep. I know that I know that you said if money was no option, but also there's only one full bathroom and then like four half baths. So I would want to turn those into like at least another full bath. 
And I also don't know what I would do with all of the open space. Like, what, I have three bedrooms and then just a bunch of huge rooms on the main floor? What do I do with those? It does seem like you'd be constantly reminded that this was <laughs> a funeral home. <laughs> that there's been many dead people in here and just sad people as well. Yeah, the interior would kind of constantly remind you of that fact. So I don't know if it would be the right fit. But for somebody, this is going to be a great deal. Yeah, if you're into that and you could drop $800,000, it's this is this is uh, your chance. It's in Millbury, <laughs> Massachusetts. You know, I have the money, but I wish there was more dead people in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a couple shy of it being the perfect house. Well, to wrap up our news segment, I have a couple of little short stories of updates from the Big E since it's now been going on for about a week or so. One of which is, I'm not going to go into great detail because there seems to be, it seems to be an ever-evolving story, but I guess there's been some fights going down at the Big E, which is not uncommon, according to the news. I guess every year there's fights. I mean, you're bound to have that when you have 50,000 people showing up every day. It's also like any situation that involves people having to wait in line while like inebriated, there's going to be some brawls. Yeah, and it's also like teenagers that are going with their teenager friends and they all have drama. Sure. But boomers are um, suspect that the result of these couple of fights that were videotaped and then went viral on the internet are going to cause there to be a bunch of staged fights on TikTok at the Big E. What? So I guess just look out for that. I don't think that that's going to happen. But the cops are ready, I guess. Wait, d has that already happened? Or is no, this no. someone's pet theory? They're, they're theor theorizing that because of the fights, the real fights that happened that were videotaped and then went viral, they're standing by, as they put it, for more fighting to occur, but only for views. So like fake fighting. I don't understand. Because every time <laughs> something happens, every time something happens that's like, relatively negative in a town boomers like to think that it's because of tiktok which could be true but i think that it's funny that they're standing by as if it's gonna be like an insane thing but does it matter if the fights are like kind of fake like that, that just be prepped for any fights yeah <laughs> that's real true. or imaginary that's <laughs> if true. it happens it's probably best to stop them that's weird Anyway, another like fun news story from the Biggie was a type of food that we did not mention in our last episode, and this is the pickle donut. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I enjoy pickles and I enjoy donuts, and I don't know if I would like the combination. If you listened to our last episode, you know that I'm not a big fan of fair food, but I think maybe I would try it. I don't know. It costs $8, so probably not. Just another gross donut experience to be had <laughs> yeah i will not be giving that any shot whatsoever yeah there's no way fair there's also cream cheese on it <laughs> what are they doing <laughs> they're turning the donut into a bagel uh, just okay <laughs> anyway uh my last biggie update is that unfortunately puddle of mud will no longer be playing on september 29th i guess they canceled all their upcoming shows there's some like drama around that if you want to look it up. I don't really know or get why. But now uh, the band Lit will be playing. The one that has that one song. What's that one song? My Own Worst Enemy. I don't know it. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do know it. I guarantee you that you know that song. All right, fine. I'll go listen to it. <laughs> You're going to know it as soon as the first riff plays. All right, I know it. <laughs> That's what I thought. So yeah, if you like that one song, you can go see them. Play at the Big E on September 29th. I bet they'll play it. Probably. Maybe twice, like Stained did that one time. Let's hope. Well, that's all we have for this week's news. Now let's get into it with our guest for this week, Jillian Verzino. She is a visual artist based out of Western Connecticut, and on October 7th of 2023, she is hosting an art show called Bad Lighting at Hungry Reaper Farm in Morris, Connecticut which is the farm that her and her fiance co-founded. And there's almost 50 artists that are going to be featured, visual artists, and there will also be live music, and it'll be taking place from 6 to 8 p.m. With that said, let's hop onto the TNNE hotline. 
You are now on the new New Englanders hotline. Hi, Jillian. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for wanting to talk to me. Thank you for talking to us. (laughs) Can I hop straight in with a question about your artwork? Go for it. So since being introduced to your work by Sarah, I've quickly become a fan. And in particular, I've been really enjoying your recent paintings I saw on your Instagram that draw inspiration from Christian Renaissance work. And you incorporate patterns and different elements from those paintings into your own work. So my question is, what drew you to those like Renaissance works as a starting point? And do you have like any personal connection to them possibly? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was raised Catholic. You can call me a recovering Catholic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if like Waterbury Catholic like means anything to you guys coming from Connecticut, but I I understand. Yeah, exactly. Like tons of Irish and Italian people immigrated there. And so large Roman Catholic community. But it was more like a ritualistic part of my life more than anything. Like I don't feel like anyone in my family was aggressively in your face Catholic and like always acknowledged the (laughs) sort of terrible aspects of it. But yeah, I went to Catholic school growing up and I feel like None of it really spoke to me besides the art portion of it. And I've always been really drawn to the medieval works that I'm referencing a lot in my paintings. And I've like wondered for a long time, like, how can I, how can I make paintings like this? And being like, I want to make paintings like this, but I actually don't at the same time. Like, I don't want to be doing that sort of like figurative religious work right and eventually it was like oh i can just use this art as a reference and sort of work in the language that i'm already working in and yeah so i just started doing that and i've really been enjoying it because i feel like i get to paint the way i want to paint but i'm also studying this art that has always like stirred something inside of me that i'm not sure why but it does (laughs) That's really cool. Is Would you say that there might be like a cathartic element to that as well? There might be. There might be. That is a good point. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure what the, what the catharsis is for yet. Perhaps like the recovering aspect we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, no, I think, I think there's just something like, something really weird about medieval Catholic painting, specifically like the kind of artwork that was in Books of Hours. Do you guys know what Books of Hours are? No. I do not. It's basically like the most popular book in the medieval ages and like the early renaissance. And it was like these pocket-sized or like transportable books that people had on them. And it was like as common as having a Bible and it was a prayer book. And they were often illuminated manuscripts, which means like they were illustrated so that people can sort of like visualize what they were reading about religion or like this story or parable or prayer. And I've just always found the artwork in those books specifically just so strange and kind of haunting. And and just like looking at them, I'm like, I can't believe a person in this time period made that. Like, what were they thinking? And so getting to like stare at that and kind of make something along the lines of what somebody then was making is really cool. That is really cool. I'll definitely have to look into those. I'm interested now. You should. A good person to... What is her name? Her her name is Sandra Hindman. She's like... I think she was a professor at Northwestern University, and she's like... She knows everything about manuscripts, and she just is like an interesting voice and person to listen to if you want to hear more about books of hours. Awesome. Yeah. If you don't mind also talking about maybe some inspiration or the way that um, you're working on a farm comes <laughs> into play with your work of art. Yeah. I don't know that it does, guys. Yeah? <laughs> like, for a while, I think I was trying to force there being some sort of marriage between my painting practice and farming and being like, yes, like this... It's like arugula gone to seed and this flower like must be sort of like influencing the 
shapes that I'm coming up with in my paintings. And like, I just don't, I feel like I was trying to make that link because I couldn't really understand where the imagery I was like painting was coming from because I wasn't referencing anything for a while. And I'm sure, I'm sure it does. I'm sure like the colors that I'm seeing when I'm out in nature all the time and farming, you know, resonate with me somehow. But I've thought about this a lot actually. And I don't, I don't know that there's like a beautiful answer for that. Gotcha. <laughs> That's okay. Not everything has to be connected. No, it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I like need to just not think about farming. And That's so, fair. <laughs> I think the painting does that. Could it be the opposite is true that the compartmentalization of these two bodies of work in your life might be <laughs> yeah. like a helpful tool? Yeah, I think I am coming to realize that that might be what what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. So my next question is a two-parter. The first question is I was hoping to ask who are some of like your heroes or inspirations that you draw from maybe in the art world, but just figures that inform you creatively. And the second is, do you have any heroes or inspirations that are specifically New Englanders as this is a New England specific pot? (laughs) I have been lucky enough to have some really wonderful teachers Um, And I think like the artists who inspire me most are the people who I've had that one-on-one relationship with who just, who I still am lucky enough to have a relationship with and they just inspire the crap out of me. Um, One is, that comes to mind is uh, Casey Rubel. Um, She, you should look up her art. She's awesome. She does a lot of like paper collaging and just has like, really hard hitting uh, references if you read about her work. And uh, Amy Cunot, who is actually going to be in an art show that I'm having at my farm in October. She was another teacher of mine and her works. I mean, if you like look at her paintings, you can be like, oh yeah, any anybody would want to be able to paint like this. Like this is, it, it's so, it's so awesome. Um, New England specific, I don't know. I feel like my homies who are just painting <laughs> like <laughs> around here, like with me or not even painting specifically, but just like doing anything like making music, making paintings, making sculptures. Like they're all, they're all great. Yeah. yeah I mean, stemming, stemming from that, like what are your thoughts and feelings like about the art and music communities around here and like, how do they impact you? I, yeah, huge impact. And I think, I think Sarah probably was like in, in like the cafe Napoli world. Right. That was, that was pre my time. Oh, that, yeah. Well, that was my time. And have you guys like both heard about it at least? I have not. I have. It was just like awesome DIY music scene in like you know little Watertown, connecticut it was like <laughs> this panini shop wow <laughs> that uh this guy carmine owned and i think he was from italy and just like yeah he let he let these kids like throw shows in the like back room of the deli it was awesome it was where like bands like the guru would play and like black churches would come through there and fugue wow. and just like all these really awesome bands that when I like left Connecticut for a while and you know you're like oh you should listen to my friend's band and (laughs) (laughs) listen to it they'd be like wait what this is really freaking good yeah yeah (laughs) and I was like yeah you didn't you didn't have a music scene like this in your town and they're like no (laughs) no I didn't (laughs) so I feel like growing up in that was like really shaped I am more than I knew it was at the moment and um yeah I feel lucky for that and I feel like the music scene I'm more aware of how strong that was here I feel like I'm trying to I'm sure there are like DIY art scenes happening around here but I'm like personally not really a part of them so I'm like I'm just gonna do it in my own little nook here that's how it happens forest. though yeah is like, exactly if you're not a part of something you just start doing it yourself yeah 
Yeah. Exactly. And then you'll find out all the people who are doing the same thing and then you'll all be a part of it together. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to ask, it sounds like you're referring to this specific scene as in only the past tense. Is that the uh, consensus in the community? I don't know. I mean, I just feel like maybe I'm too old now to know <laughs> like, what's going on. Like, I, f I felt like I had aged out of like the music scene, which is not true because a lot of my friends who are doing that are still making music. Maybe I just like don't think about it the same anymore. But sure. I feel like I'm I'm perhaps not as like tapped into it as I once was. Um, or maybe it's I definitely, am. I just <laughs> think it's bigger. <laughs> it's definitely changed a lot over the yeah. years. And I think too, like that that community scene really starts when you're younger and you mm -hmm. like are starting to meet new people and then you meet those people and then those are your people and you don't necessarily meet more. At least yeah. that's how I've begun to feel. But I still like see younger people doing it too. And I'm always like, yeah, you're doing the thing that I did and exactly. keep doing that. You get all excited yeah. about it when you see yeah. you doing it. You're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that experience of walking down the street and then one of the uh, poles has like this DIY poster on it. That yeah. Someone clearly Xeroxed and you're like, yes. oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my god. And like you take pictures of it because you're like, I gotta show my friends. <laughs> Look at what the kids are up to. <laughs> They're still making hardcore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> god bless. Well, um, to kind of like spin it away from the music and art, and I know that it's your job, but I am <laughs> deeply interested in, you know, the farm and how that works and i think that it's really a cool thing that you guys do so kind of like another two-parter question we have is what are some of the challenges that you're facing in the agricultural world and why do you find it important for people to support small farms like yours mm. uh i mean climate change i think is yeah what is that obviously <laughs> like <laughs> seeing as we've had like seven what <laughs> It's not real. <laughs> but seeing as we've had like seven inches of rain in the past, like, like week and a half. Right. Like, yeah, climate change is a huge issue for people in ag everywhere in the world. In New England specifically, we've like had farms in Vermont and Massachusetts and just all over New England deal with catastrophic flooding that yeah. just, you know, destroys their crops and it's like what do you do from there because there is no like, people talk about crop insurance and it's just it's like really not a thing unless you're a gigantic farm out west or in the midwest like growing one thing and there's like no there's no cushion for farmers so right. and, and like this is our livelihood at the end of the day so i think climate change and the freak events that are happening way more often is um huge challenge and also something that people don't think about a lot but land security and land access is actually a huge issue for farmers because there are people out there who want to do it and people who I mean we have to be doing it if we want to eat and the price of land is insane in Connecticut specifically and in New England specifically the, the price of raw land is sold at like real estate value right because it's like or development value like how how much can i get for this because you can develop this land and make a buttload of money off of it and so finding ways to make farmland more affordable and accessible for beginning and old farmers if they're like leasing or having like a long-term lease situation is i think huge and there are lots of really cool people and people way smarter than me working on that to make that a reality my fiance being one of those people will so we're really glad for people like that making that happen <laughs> absolutely yeah it seems like there's just endless condominiums going up everywhere yeah there are. anywhere you go in connecticut <laughs> yeah i think the second thing you asked was about why choose a, or why like spend your money at a mm -hmm. small farm is that yeah. what you asked yeah, yeah. I mean, for one, I think it tastes better <laughs> if yeah. you're buying stuff from from a local small or whatever. It doesn't even have to be a small farm, but just like a farm in 
your area. Agreed. Definitely gonna taste better because it's not, yeah, it's not being shipped from California or Mexico and being harvested before it's ready. We, you know, need your business. That's another good reason to to support farms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep us uh, doing what we're doing and paying our bills and all that good stuff. How did uh, you guys get started with your farm? Will and I both worked on farms for like, Will was working at a farm in Washington previously for like a decade. And I started working at a farm in Watertown in like 2013 and both just really liked the work. And so we kept doing it season after season. And eventually it was like end of 2019. We were like, we should just start our own thing because one of our friends who was leasing the land that we're on currently was like, I have this plot that I'm not using if you guys want to sublease it and grow some veggies there. Um, and he let us do that for free, which, you know, that's huge. Yeah. So yeah, we, we got really, really lucky. And I mean, starting a business in the pandemic was, you know, <laughs> stressful for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we just kind of like sent it and we're really glad that it's been working out great. So <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that it is. What are yeah. some of your, uh, focused crops what what are some of the things that you specifically grow <laughs> yeah we grow like a little bit of everything honestly I, the only things that we don't grow that you would think of when you think of vegetables are like corn because it just takes so much space to grow right corn in any volume um but yeah we grow kales broccolis turnips radishes beets tomatoes uh, eggplant, peppers, watermelon, squash, winter squash, just, yeah, like 40 different crops. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that y'all aren't growing corn. We eat so much corn all the time. <laughs> there is lots of corn. And like, people love that stuff this time of year. You like go to the market and they're like, you got corn? I'm like, no, but we have like about a hundred different beautiful things in this tent and then they leave. And I'm just like, what? How can you be so hung up on this one thing? That's so funny. I feel like it's also like anytime I do buy corn, I just eat like corn on the cob and it's like a fun thing one time. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe people consume it in the amount that they do. People besides like it. besides it just being in everything that we eat already yeah but. exactly but like they're they're throwing corn and everything apparently <laughs> <laughs> i mean they must be the quantities they're buying <laughs> hopping back to art for a second i did want to ask you do you consider your work abstract or is there possibly a different subgenre that you more closely associate with yeah i would definitely say that it's abstract i yeah it's definitely abstract <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that there's like another another like genre word for it that i would that i would call it i've seen that sometimes you do kind of experiment with some figurative elements and like the blend of the two comes off like a little bit surrealist yeah no surrealist i think is like a, a good a good word it's like hard for me to to like decipher what it is that I am making and put out and like put a name on it, I guess. It's like you saying surrealist just now. I'm like, yeah, like I could see, I could totally see how some of the works look like that. And right. it, I think it really just is in like whoever is viewing it and how they're sort of compartmentalizing that. But yeah, I do. I actually used to make like exclusively realistic portraits mm -hmm. like that is sort of how I started my painting journey, which makes me kind of like want to shiver when I think about doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, and but who knows, maybe I'll come back to that someday. But I think that is sort of why there are these like figurative elements. Like there, there's like a painting I did re recently where I painted hands in it. And I was like, damn, I haven't painted hands in a long time. And, <laughs> 
kind of hate painting hands. They're like the <laughs> hardest thing to, to like paint of the human form, in my opinion. But I was gonna say, aren't they notorious? <laughs> yeah, they're just so they're just yeah, they're not worth the time. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like funny how one's one's path in art making can change over time. But right, but interesting. That's actually a perfect segue to our next question, too, which is how did you get your start as an artist? Honestly, like from the very from birth, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I just I was always trying to draw on shit that I wasn't supposed to draw on. And my parents, I feel like my parents were always like, oh, you're a little artist, which is like very sweet. And I think I was like, yeah, I could do that. And they were so kind as to always be like you should do that like you should be an artist if that's what you want to be and I feel like that's not <laughs> a common sentiment coming from parents when you say that because it's you know notoriously difficult to make a living doing <laughs> um and I'm certainly not making a living doing it but <laughs> but that's awesome though yeah I feel, feel lucky we love to hear a supportive environment for a young artist. We do. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> so now would be a great time to pivot a little bit and discuss the upcoming event that you're hosting. Could you maybe start by giving us just the when, where, and how? Yeah, so October 7th, it's a Saturday, starting at 6 p.m. at Hungry Reaper Farm. I'm just going to say just Google the farm and you will get the address. It's much easier than me saying it out because it's long but yeah Green Reaper Farm six o'clock October 7th and then it's like six to eight is going to be the art portion of the show and then starting promptly at eight there's going to be a couple of bands playing eight to ten because there's a sound ordinance in town so <laughs> the loud music will have to stop at 10, but the chilling can continue. <laughs> I'm extremely glad to hear that y'all are up to date with your town's noise ordinances. <laughs> uh, we are we are very up to date with ordinances at the farm more than we would like to be. Up to code. <laughs> up to code, that's right. No problems here. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, what are some of the things that we can expect to see when we're there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There are a lot of really awesome pieces in this show. I don't want to give away too much because I think that's always the most exciting part of going to an art show is like not like getting a taste of something, but not really knowing what you're going to see and how they're all going to be put out together. Right. Um, but yeah, there's going to be lots of paintings. There's going to be some writing. There's going to be some ceramics there might even be some fashion involved um the possibility of food sculpture remains um, yeah yeah we spent a lot of time in our last episode talking about food sculpture wait really oh yes i have to go listen to that one wow. we, we talked about uh the biggie because they have the butter oh my sculpture god there. the butter sculptures yes i was just talking about the butter sculptures the other day <laughs> We did a bit of a deep dive on the artists responsible for the uh, butter sculptures historically. Oh my god, I cannot wait to listen to that. <laughs> I'm so hyped. This is a very niche audience you're going to have there, I think, but I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are those are the things you can sort of expect from, from the show. Roughly how many artists are going to be contributing? It's like almost... 50. I don't remember what wow. the count is, but somewhere between 40 and 50. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's awesome. They're mostly locals? Um, They're mostly within like three states of here, I'd say. But there are some people who are on the other side of the country who won't be able to make it, but their art will, will make Very cool. it. Yeah. So it's in, is it in a barn like on the property? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, like, will this be a long-term installation of any sort, or it's just for the night? It's really just for the night. One, because I think it's kind of fun that it's one night yeah. only. And for for another, like, it, it's a barn that we use on the farm. Like, Fair. we're going to clean it out real good before the yeah. show and get it all sparkly. But then, like, no art should have to, like, stay in this, like, not temperature-controlled 
uh, True. <laughs> like, yeah, right. barn that an owl currently lives in. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's like reasons to protect the art and reasons for just for fun. That is one night only. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would trust an owl with an oil painting overnight. No, absolutely <laughs> Who knows not. What can <laughs> Who knows what will happen exactly? <laughs> Well, if you get any sort of video content from it, I will be watching it very intently. I hope that I will, because <laughs> Bubba Rand's Rubber Band is playing. Hell yeah. Heck yeah. If anyone wants to find out more about the show or your art in general, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, you can follow either the farm on Instagram or myself on Instagram. The farm is just at Hungry Reaper Farm, and myself, I am just at Jillian Verzino. And websites for both of those things, too. Um, feel free to message me with any questions, ideas. Yeah, happy to be in touch that way. It's just like the most direct way, even though it's the most lame way, because it's through Instagram, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's the easiest, though. It just is. Like, keep it all in one place. <laughs> Social media is slim pickings nowadays. It is slim pickings. <laughs> God. I did have one other question come to mind just now. And that's, as someone who, I don't know if you'd consider yourself an organizer, but from here on out, you're definitely an organizer. <laughs> um, as someone who's an organizer and a participant in the New England's art scene, what would you like to see more of or maybe to see change in the future about his current state? I, that's very nice that you called me an organizer. I like <laughs> it. Yeah. Don't think I consider myself that, but between like the farm and this, like there's definitely a lot of supposed organizing happening. Um, <laughs> I think I would like to see definitely like more of this sort of thing, just like more casual get-togethers that are not necessarily centered um, on these sort of like stuffy gallery openings with like white walls, um, very harsh imagery, if you know what I'm getting at. But but like those things are fun too, like nothing against going to gallery openings like in the city and such, but just having something be sort of less less like that I think yeah, would be yeah. cool and also just sort of drawing art out of New York City like it is just such it's like such a thing to be a New York artist and I feel like you instantly have clout if you are in New York and making art which is like rad for them but it's sort of it's like easy to feel like an outsider if you're anywhere else making art and you want that strong community so I think it would just be cool to like there there are definitely people out here outside of New York City making art and making really good art who want to convene with other artists and I yeah. think just having I don't know what that looks like yet but having a community that is thriving beyond city limits would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think people especially from Connecticut We'll take the easy way out to move to New York sometimes mm -hmm. um, to get. Which is like definitely out. not easy. In, no, it's you not. Know, easy. Like, but it it's is like, like let me valid. just spend so much money to, to like, <laughs> yeah. live in New York, and then like I'll find my people. Which like they definitely probably do find their people, but it's like no, I want to build it here though, or like have yeah. it here. Yeah, like I personally will never do that because I cannot imagine myself like living there. But like I've seen plenty of friends do it and like thrive and be able yeah. to do it. Like you have to be a certain kind of person, but it's like, what if we just had that same energy like not there? Yeah, it would just be great to have that energy everywhere. So hopefully something like that is in the future, in the CT future. I mean, I think what you're doing by hosting a show like this is bringing it to the present. Uh, just like so. providing an opportunity to local artists to present their stuff and for people in your community to come and see something like close to home. Yeah. And I'm like lucky enough that I have the space too to be able to just like, like I'm already paying to like lease this space. And so I might as well use it for an art show. But if there are other people who sort of like, like can realize like, oh, I have this, even if it's like you're your studio space and you want to just like throw a show in your studio or yeah 
there's like I think you guys know of Volume Two on State yep. Street in New Haven. Like that's an awesome place for and, and people are already doing it there too. Just like having these art gatherings, whether it's like music or poetry or film or paintings, and like having like-minded people come together there. And I'm like, that's so cool. That's <laughs> what it's all about. Well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's everything that we had for you. Yeah, but unfortunately that's time. But thank you so much for coming on, Jillian. And to all of our listeners who can make it, get to the show. Awesome. Thank you, all guys. Right. See ya. Bye. All right, so that's just about it for this episode. But first, let's look at some up-and-coming events. Anything good, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, besides for Jill's event on October 7th, uh, Red Scroll Records is hosting a record fair at Counterweight Brewery in Cheshire on October 8th from 11 to 5 p.m. Uh, they'll have a ton of records. It's free admission. There'll be food trucks and DJs, and it's at a brewery, so beer too. But yeah, Red Scroll's one of the biggest you know, independent record stores in the state of Connecticut. And there's some great people. So go out and support them. Very nice. I also have some up and coming music events. The first of which is October 7th, same weekend as Jillian's show at the barn. There's a two day music festival happening at the Mystic Seaport Museum in Mystic, Connecticut called Mystic Folkways. It's going to be outdoor folk concert early October. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Some headlining artists include Whitney, Spirit Family Reunion, and Twain. Should be a great weekend of music there in Mystic. Another upcoming music event in New England is Animal Collective is celebrating their upcoming new record, Isn't It Now, with a couple global listening parties, one of which will be held at the Paradiso Hi-Fi Lounge in Burlington, Vermont on September 29th. If I was in the area, I would definitely be attending that. Should be a lot of fun. All right, so I think that's it for us for today. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you can make it to Jillian's show or any of the wonderful events that we talked about today. And we hope that you tune in next time, too. Happy fall, everyone. Go out there, do something fun. We'll see you next time. Pick some apples or a pumpkin. (laughs) Jack-o'-lantern.